We are Grace Church International, a spirit-filled, multicultural, worshiping community. One church in two locations. Today's message is preached by Dr. Tony Alvarado. We pray that it reaches you no matter where you are and equips you to be a more developed Christian disciple. living word with us today. Amen. Not just the inscripturated word, not just the word written on the on, on paper or parchment, but we have the living word of God for he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God. Come on, somebody, if you know him. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning. We give our God praise. We give our God honor. We give our God glory on today. Would you put your hands together and just give our God a hand clap of praise? Would you couple that clap with a good shout of praise in this atmosphere? There are those gathered in the sanctuary, those that are gathered on the live stream this morning. And whether you're with us live or whether you're with, with us virtually, we believe that the spirit of the Lord that is in this place has come to liberate us and has come to set us free. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You may retire your post. Thank you, Minister John. Thank you, musicians. Thank you so much. Thank you to our technical team. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our, our, um, our uh, health ministry and greeters and ushers that are helping us get in and out of the sanctuary safely. Thank you to our elders, ministers, and deacons that are serving with us on today. And most of all, thank God. Wait a minute. Before I thank our bishop, I want to thank you that are on the live stream with us. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tracking with us all these months. All these months. Nobody thought we'd still be doing what we're doing right now this you know the first few weeks we were like okay this is all right we can do this a month in we were like okay we could do it up uh, 90 days in we were like okay lord what what what's going on here six months we're like jesus come see about us all right nobody there isn't a pastor on the planet that has pastored in a, in a um that's alive today that has pastored in a global pandemic and for that i want to give our pastor our senior pastor our bishop come on bishop jonathan elliott alvarado come on y'all help me thank the lord for the man of god for his vision for his tenacity, come on. For his stick to itness, come on now. Come on. Amen. Y'all see him running up and down, making sure it's almost like we've started all over again. And so we're grateful for his for his grace. We're grateful for his leadership. 
We're grateful for his, his ability to be flexible and to move with the wind, to move with the cloud, to move with where God is going and to lead us faithfully to fresh water. Amen. 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 That's what the shepherd's job is, is, is to lead the sheep safely. Amen. Through the valley. And so we're thankful that he has led us in this pandemic. He continues to lead us. He continues to give fresh vision and to help us understand the ways of God as we travel in this journey of life and in ministry. Amen. I am so glad to be in the house of the Lord with you on this morning. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you. I have felt your prayers. I have received your kind words, your, your, your gifts, your cards. So many of you have reached out to us in this last season as we have gone through this valley that we, that as we are walking through, I'm not, we're not out yet, but as we are walking in this valley, which I'm going to preach about this morning, I thank you for your kindness, for your kind words. Thank you for your prayers. Amen. Thank you for this, the, just everything that you all have done to make this journey bearable for myself, for my sisters. I can say on behalf of my sisters, Inez, Cassandra, and Yolanda, and our entire family, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love and your faithfulness toward us in the passing of our mother. And so we know that she has joined that great cloud of witnesses and she is now cheering us on in our leg of, of this race of faith. And so we're thankful for her legacy and her spirit and for what she has poured in us. Amen. And thank you, thank you, thank you. So you ready for the word today? Amen. I'm excited. I'm excited. I have been on a, um, a very refreshing sabbatical season, and the Lord has given me um, much um, insight and wisdom in this season. I thank you, Grace Church. Thank you as a community of faith. You know, there are a lot, not a lot of pastors, particularly in the African-American church, in the black church, that get an opportunity to rest and take a break from ministry because we're afraid that if we don't come, y'all won't come. Amen. And so I'm thankful for a mature congregation that recognizes when your leaders need rest and when your leaders need a break and that you all still carry on the ministry. And for that, I'm grateful for all those leaders that have taken up um, areas that I give oversight to. I want to particularly thank Elder Judy Kirk. Amen. Um, for her guidance in this time. Amen. She has... Um, taking on, on a whole lot of uh, responsibility during my sabbatical. She took on a lot of the pastoral burden uh, during uh, the sabbatical and making sure that she kept up with the, with the congregation and the sheep and to let Bishop and I know what was going on. She didn't let me know anything. She did not bother me at all. And I thank God for her for that. But I know that she took the pastoral burden off of Bishop and off of me during that sabbatical. And so I thank her. I thank all of our elders for stepping up to the plate um, during that time. Our business manager, Elder Mc Neil, um, the Gilmers. Come on, y'all. What can we say about Elder Pyram and Elder Joyce Gilmer? 
I mean, I mean, they have just, they have really dug in there with us during this whole pandemic season and particularly in these last few months and giving us leadership in this, in our, in leading the live stream every week and helping us to make that transition. All of our elders, Elder, Elder May, Reggie, Elder Deborah Woods, I thank God for you. Our elders in training, the Gambles, Elder Michael Gamble, Elder Tina Gamble, Elder Desmond Bailey, and Elder Sherry Rogers. Amen. Amen. They have really, really, really come alongside Bishop and I as an eldership to undergird this ministry and to make sure that we don't have to worry about ministry going forth uh, in this hour, whether we're here or whether we're not here. All right, I'm going to the Word of God in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where I'm going to read. Um, um, our son uh, was, was going to read for us this morning, but I told him he's, he's doing double duty. Brother Taryn is on the uh, media ministry, and so I'm giving him a break this morning, ministering training. So I told him I would go on and read so that he can uh, continue to work the, um, the live stream and help us with that tech, with technical aspects. So 2 Samuel chapter 12 is where I'm reading. I'm going to start in verse 15, the B part of verse 15, 2 Samuel 12, the B part of, of verse 15. And it reads, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. And David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him. And he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped then he went then he went to his own house and when he requested they set food before him and he ate then his servant said to him what is this you have done you fasted and wept for the child while he was alive but when the child died you arose and ate food and he said while the child was alive i fasted and wept for i said can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live but now he is dead why should I fast can I bring him back again I shall go to him but he shall not return to me then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her so she bore a son and he called his name Samuel now the Lord loved him, and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah. 
because of the Lord. Thus far, the scripture. So if you need a, a thought or a text or a, a, a title for our message on this morning, it is simply this. Get up. Worship again. God is not through with you yet. Come on, just tell somebody around you, get up. Worship again. God is not through with you yet. Amen. You may take your seats in the presence of the Lord. The landscape of David's life is a panorama of peaks and valleys, ups and downs, successes and failures. Many of us can identify with the man David because although he was a man of great success, for he reigned over Israel and administered justice and equity to his people, he was not without his own personal struggles and tremendous inner battles. David's years in Jerusalem are recorded in a series of lofty successes and profound failures. As a matter of fact, whenever you note someone who has achieved lofty, great, and notable success, you can bet your last paycheck on the fact that somewhere in their life, there has been some profound failures. For what makes victory so sweet is that you have known defeat. The greater the blessing, the greater the testing, the greater the increase, the greater the loss. The greater the anointing, the greater the crushing. The Bible says it was uh, at the time of the year when kings would go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. David was the king, but he sent Joab to the battle. Now here's the problem. David should have been on the battlefield, but he was at home and out of place. David was at the wrong place at the right time. David was at home when, uh, when it was the season of battle, and whenever you and I are in the, uh, in the right time but in the wrong place, we are bound to mess up. Tell somebody, get in the right place. Come on, tell them again, get in the right place. See, you and I cannot afford to be found out of place when the right time comes. I don't know about you, but I have sensed at times the enemy of my soul trying to push me out, trying to move me out of my place in such that I would forfeit my destiny by moving me out of place at the right time. And I've made up my mind that I will not be pushed out. I will not be uh, conjoled. I will not be moved out of the place that God has placed me. Uh, I will not let the enemy of my soul forfeit my destiny by moving me out of of the right place and out of the will of God for my life. Listen, your place and your timing must be in alignment with where God is taking you for whatever assignment God has for your life. Somebody holler, get in the right place. 
Come on, say it again. Get in the right place. Type it. Put it in the comments. Come on, tell your neighbor. Listen, just kind of look at them. Don't yell at them now. We don't. We want to stay safe in the sanctuary. But look at somebody through your mask and tell them, get in the right place. David uh, remained uh, 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 in, the, in the palace. He remained in the capital. And we understand that um, the story of David and Bathsheba as he remained there in the capital after his illicit encounter with Bathsheba, which ultimately ended up with a desperate plot to get rid of her husband, Uriah. So David not only commits adultery, but now he, is, he has committed murder because when he finds that Bathsheba is with child, he sends for Uriah and he asks for Uriah to come and to lie with his, with his wife. But because Uriah was faithful to David and would not uh, uh, defile the, defy the king, he went in, but he would not lie with his, his wife. Uh, so when David found out that Uriah would not lie with Bathsheba, he sent Uriah to the front of the battlefield and had him uh, killed right there on the battlefield so now David is not only uh, committed uh, adultery but now David is guilty of murder and the Bible says the thing that David did displeased the Lord he is later confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin and he is called into repentance he goes in and, and, and later he pins what is known now as one of the psalms that we use so faithfully, what I call the clean heart principle, where David goes in and he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See one of the things I love about David was when David messed up he didn't run from God, Elder Judy, he ran to God. See that's your problem and my problem often. See, listen, the problem is not that we messed up. The problem is when we won't take responsibility for our mess ups when we start pointing the finger at everybody oh lord if it, if it, if if she hadn't have been on the rooftop come on if if he hadn't have said this if this hadn't happened if my mama would have done this and my daddy would have done that no david didn't point the finger finger at bathsheba he didn't point the finger at at Beth, uh, at uriah he didn't point the finger at nathan the prophet when he was confronted with his sin he went in and he said have mercy on me oh god he said it's it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaping. Come on, is there anybody that, that's ever prayed this prayer? Behold, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part of uh, uh, thou shalt make me to know wisdom he said purge me with hyssop come on y'all that needs to be our prayer every now and then beloved you and I get dirty on this road of life you and I you see we're in the world but not of the world but we're in the world and you can't be in the world without sometimes the world getting on you so every now 
whiter than snow. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. Create in me, come on y'all, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Come on, y'all. Come on and take not the Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me. Have you ever needed God to restore your joy? Come on. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto me. David understood that the sacrifices of God our broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, thou will not despise. So David has a child with Bathsheba, and the Bible says something very interestingly in this narrative, and it says, and the Lord struck the child. Ah. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I had a problem with that. Oh, maybe I'm the only one. Okay. So the, the text says that the Lord struck the child that David bore with Bathsheba, and the child became seriously ill. For seven days following the baby's birth, David fasted and prayed without ceasing. It says that the Lord struck the child. See, the problem with us is most of us are only happy with the God that heals. But we don't, we are not, we're not comfortable with the God that doesn't heal or the God that strikes. Oh, Jesus. David goes in and, and, and the text says that David goes through the stages of grief. He wept. He was angry. He cried. He was in shock. He was in disbelief. He bargained with God. He fasted and prayed. He said, because fasting and prayed, he said, who knows? The Lord might relent. So I might as well fast and pray. He bargained with God. The stages of grief. Mourning and grief are responses that occur whenever any significant life event happens. Whenever you and I, it could, it, see, it's, it's not just the death of a loved one. It's, it could be the end of a relationship. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a way of life or an occurrence that leads to intense emotional trauma. Individuals usually react differently to loss, and most people recover on their own over time, but the period of grief could last weeks, it could last months, it could last years. The point is everybody deals with grief differently. Some people cry, some people laugh, some people busy themselves with work, some people throw up, some people feel numb, some recover quickly while others take a long time. Grief is as natural as life. And there is a natural process to grieving. For some people, grief can become so painful and overcoming, it can grow into something totally different like depression or anxiety. 
Other times, grief might last far too long or it can take a person's, a person, uh, almost a lifetime to get over it. Either way, grief is natural and grief has a natural process. Immediately after the loss, it's normal to experience symptoms of shock and distress and sadness and loss of appetite and sleep and trouble and be troubled. Poor concentration, not being able to get yourself together. Immediately afterward, there's, there could be the shock of sadness or feelings of sadness or distress or, or there could be feelings of, 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 of diminished isness that comes to one's life. These symptoms sometimes can diminish over a passage of time, yet there is a place called complicated grief where you and I can come to that if we're not careful, it can stop us in our tracks and paralyze us for the rest of our lives. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I sat with my grief counselor, she said to me, she said, Tony, you will always miss your mother, but you won't always grieve your mother. And I said, what do you mean? She said, because God never designed grief for us to get stuck there. God allows us to go through grief. God allows us. Did not Jesus on the cross, when he was, when he was on the cross, he was, he was separated from his father. Death separates. Death, death is a chasm. And as God turned his back on him, he's never been separated from his father. He doesn't know what it's like to be without his father. So he says to him, my God, my God, why have thou? forsaken me. When he's in the garden uh, before he's even on the cross he's, he's crying, he's weeping and he's asking him, Lord if there be, he's bargaining with his father Lord if there be any other way let this cup pass from me but nevertheless not my will but thy will be done my grief counselor said there'll always be a void in your heart that can never be fulfilled never be filled because everybody in the room knows you only get one mama. Grief is natural. Grief has a natural process, but God never designed it for you and I to get stuck there. Somebody say, get up, worship, because God's not through with you yet. Ah, they, David is giving us a pattern here for how to walk through grief. This, this, this is why I wanted to, to, to speak this, this passage of text this morning because when I look at David's life, David understood something about loss. He understood this isn't the first time David's lost. David is, uh, has lost uh, a son. He's, 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 he's lost his child with Bathsheba. But David has lost many things. He's lost with his son Absalom when his son turned on him and revolted from him. Come on now. David understood. David, that's why David would say things like in Psalm 3, oh, how they increase that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be that say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. David, I love the, 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 to watch the man.
man David's life because David knew what it was like to worship God in the midst of whatever he was going through. Come on now. David understood. He said, yay, though we walk, come on, through the valley, Psalm 23, of the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Listen, he said, yay, though we walk. Somebody say walk, walk, walk. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We walk through it. We don't stay in it. We walk through it. Come on, somebody. We don't stay in it. And you know what I really like about it? It's a shadow of death. Come on. It's not really death, y'all. It's just a shadow of death. And you know what makes it a shadow? Whenever there's darkness and light shows up in the midst of it, come on, somebody. It creates a shadow. The reason it's a shadow is because the shepherd is walking with us. How come on? How many know that he is that light? Come on. How many know that he is the light of the world? Jesus is the light and that darkness comprehends him not. So we walk through the twists and the turns of life, but we don't walk alone because the shepherd is walking with us. See, you and I are not guaranteed in this life that we won't lose anything. Ah, see, that's what uh, in Isaiah 43, he tells them, and when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Come on, somebody. Not if. But notice what he said. He said, not not when you get in the water, not when you stay in the water. Come on now. Not when you drown in the water. Oh Lord, I'm trying to help somebody. He said when you pass through it. I wish somebody would get enough faith to know that you're passing through it. Come on now. Touch your neighbor. Say neighbor. Come on. Come on. I know it don't look like it right now. Come on. But you're passing through it. Come on now. You're not staying in it. Come on. You're not gonna die in it. Come on. You're not gonna drown in it. Come on. Touch your neighbor. Say neighbor. I know you feel like you're overwhelmed right now. I know it feels a little heavy right now. But somebody get excited to know that when you pass through the waters. He said I'll be with you. Come on. He says when you go through the fire. You shall not be burned. Come on now. God has a way of taking you through the fire and bringing you out, baby, and you don't even have the stench of smoke on you. Somebody give God praise right now, not because of what you're in, but because of what you're going through. Come on, I, I, I wonder, can you give God praise because of what you're going through? I said, give him glory right now because of what you're going through. Christian, listen, being a Christian is no indication that you and I won't lose stuff in this life. That we won't go through trials and sufferings. We are not immune from hardship and difficult situations. See, to know him is to suffer. Jesus said, yea, those who would live godly in this age shall suffer persecution being saved is no protection from going through sickness and pain and death it just means when I go through it I don't go through it alone I just want to ask you a few questions this morning what do you do when you fasted and prayed and the thing that you fasted and prayed for still dies 
on now. So what happens when you fast and you pray for healing and the sickness persists? Oh, come on now. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody. Because everybody don't get healed in this life. Oh, God, Jesus. I wish you, I, listen, everybody does not get married in this life. Stop lying to people. Everybody ain't going to be no millionaire. Some of y'all ain't going to be no millionaire. You can't even be a hundredaire. You don't know what to do with a hundred. God can't trust you with a million. God ain't gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars a year. You don't tithe on the 20, 30, 40, 50 that he give you now. Everybody ain't gonna be no millionaire. What is our response to loss? See, the church has taught us how to rejoice, but we've not done a good job in teaching us how to lament. What happens when I go through counseling and the marriage still ends in divorce? What happens when I have all the right connections and the degrees and I still get laid off and still cannot find a job? Come on, somebody. What happens when I raise them right and they still mess up? They still get in trouble. See, see, this is called life. Somebody say life, 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 life. You and I don't get to, we don't get to check out of life. <laughs> we don't get to choose what we go through, y'all. Sometimes God chooses our suffering, and sometimes our suffering is because of the choices we have made. Let me say that again. Sometimes God chooses our suffering, and sometimes, as in the text, our, 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 our suffering is a result of the choices that we have made. But I'm walking through it. I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm coming on the other side of it. David gives us a paradigm for how to walk through grief. David helps us understand how to get through to the other side. You might say, well, you might ask, why is David grieving and the child is not dead yet? My friend and grief therapist, Dr. Sarah Williams says, grief sets in the moment you and I are confronted with the possibility of the loss. The moment we are confronted with the possibility grief sets in in that moment the moment you get the diagnosis grief sets in the moment you get the phone call the moment you hear the word cancer heart disease the moment you hear car accident grief sets in so there is a lingering if there's a lingering uh, disease like cancer or dementia or Alzheimer's you and I can be grieving the loss for years what are we grieving that's why with people with dementia and anyone who's ever been a caregiver of an Alzheimer's patient knows that it's called the longest night 
Alzheimer's is literally called the longest night because while our loved one's body might look fine, their mind is what's deteriorating and their body is, it, is, it looks fine, but their mind is deteriorating slowly over time. Listen, I asked God not to let my mother suffer, but the hardest part about losing her was not when she died. The hardest part about losing her was watching her decline over time. So I started grieving the loss of my mother before she died. I grieved the loss of things we used to do together. I grieved the loss of her, her, her mobility, her mental faculties, and even the sense of her humor. For us, it was the loss of her ability to enjoy a good meal with us or to eat what she used to eat. Or if you know my mom, a good road trip. I, 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 I grieve and I, 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 um, I anticipate that I'll grieve even more that she won't be here to bake my sweet potato pies this Thanksgiving and Christmas. Who's going to bake my sweet potato pies? I don't want your sweet potato pies. I want my mama's. Come on, y'all. Come on now. I know you make good sweet potato pies. But it ain't my mom's sweet potato pie. You know what I'm talking about. So, so we dread those first days, those first months, those first ye that first year of holidays and birthdays and anniversaries and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And the first time I, had, I was confronted with it was when I had to write, when Bishop and I went on vacation in June and I um, had to write down my um, emergency contact for Delta Airline. And I'm used to writing my mother's name. If something happened to us in a common disaster, my mom was listed as the person to call. Because over the years, now, I mean, I'm getting used to the, the fact that my oldest son is now 20, almost 25. And now I've recently changed all that out and put his name there because he's an adult now. But you got to understand, for the last 25 years, we've been parenting small children. So when Bishop and I get on a plane together and we go down in a common disaster, then my mom was listed as the point of contact. And the first time I couldn't write her name down as the point of contact, grief sets in, handshakes, tears come. I started grieving her, loss of appetite, loss of sleep. David wouldn't eat. David wouldn't sleep. Repeated requests from his elders, bringing him food. David lay all night on the ground in ceaseless prayer. But after seven days of fasting and praying, the Bible says the infant son died. David's servants were initially hesitant to even tell David, believing that David would be so distraught that he might even take his own life. But instead, David did something curious. He did something that surprised his servants. The Bible says he immediately gets up washes, anoints himself, goes into the house of the Lord, worships, and later goes back to his own house. The servants wondered, what, this, what 
is he doing? While the child was alive, he fasted and prayed. But now that the child is dead, what is he doing? What is he, he doing? David arose from the ground. David looked up and said, listen, there's nothing I can do about it now. Shall I? I nothing I can say will bring him back. I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. David gets up, goes into the house. He recognizes God has spoken. I have to move on. David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped, and went to his own house. How do we get, how do we do this? How do we move forward? How do we keep worshiping? How do we understand what God is doing next? Here's the, here's the prescription. It's real simple. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to let you go. Number one, get up. Everybody say, get up. Say it again. Get up. David arose. See, I don't care what you and I go through or how bad it gets. We can always get up. Come on, somebody. As long as you are alive, you can get up. Come on now. Somebody say, get up, get up, get up. See, to get up means to, or to arise means to get up, to move forward, to ascend, to come into being. See, you and I cannot afford to get stuck at the place of our loss. We can't get the, get, afford to get stuck at the place of our grief. Listen, we are not, we cannot, we cannot afford to die at the graveside or the graveside site the place to see the grave site is the place where we go to visit and to be reminded of the loss but it's not the place where we live come on now come on you visit the grave site you don't live at the grave site I'm trying to help somebody I got more Bible in Genesis chapter 23 the book says and Sarah was a hundred and seven and twenty years 27 years old and I uh, went uh, was the life of Sarah and Sarah died at Kahir Jeth and the same, at the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for Sarah. And Abraham stood up before his dead and spake to his sons, the sons of Heth, saying, uh, it's time to get up and move from this place. And the next time you see Abraham in chapter 25, it says, and Abraham took a wife and her name is Keturah. Abraham wept for Sarah, but he got up and went on. Come on, somebody. Jesus, when he gets to the tomb of Lazarus, come on now. Jesus tells them, listen, I'm coming to weep with you at the tomb, but I can't stay here at the place of weeping. Jesus calls Lazarus and the body Bible says Lazarus gets up. Jesus goes to a cemetery or to a, a place where a demoniac is hanging out in the catacombs and Jesus goes in to bring him out of his right mind, bring him back into his right mind because he recognizes you can't be in your right mind and hang out with dead folk. He said, come on now, you got to get up and move up out of here. I don't care what's died in your life, God still has more for you as long as you're alive, you got to get up. Somebody holler, get up. Get up. Number one, he got up. Number two, he washed. Say wash, wash, wash. See, see, life's experiences can leave us feeling worn out and 
dirty, sin defiles us, but washing symbolizes cleansing and refreshing. You know how it feels when you, when you get a good shower or a good bath or even when you wash your face. It revives you. Come on now. It gives you energy and it gives you power to move forward with your day. See, whatever God is doing in your life and no matter what you've lost in your life, God gives us an opportunity to be washed by the word of God, to be washed by the spirit of God, to be washed over in worship. So that's why David said, wash me and I shall be clean. Somebody holler, wash me, Lord, wash me. See, get up, wash. Then he said, anoint yourself. David anointed himself. David knew that he had sinned with Uriah, killed a, a sin with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, and taken advantage of Bathsheba. But he knew that whatever he had done, that as long as he was alive and able to repent, that God was not through with him yet. Would you just tell somebody around you, God's not through with me yet. God's not through. He was God's anointed, and he, but God still had a plan for his life. Even though he messed up, God still had a plan for his life. Would you tell somebody, even though I've messed up, God still got a plan for my life. Even though I have disappointed some folk, God still has a plan for my life. Even though I haven't dotted every I and crossed every T, God still has a plan for my life. You and I might have made a mistake, made mistakes in our lives, but our mistakes do not define us. You must learn to get up, wash, anoint yourself. See, anointing suggests, uh, we, you, you get an anointing for a purpose. You get an anointing because anointing symbolizes sanctification and consecration for a particular assignment and purpose. Then the Bible says, the Bible says David changed his clothes. When he went in, he was in sackcloth and ashes. He had on mourning clothes. But when he got up, he said, bring me the linen ephod. Somebody bring me my linen ephod because I got to go to worship. Come on now. He changed his clothes. He took off his grave clothes and put on his worship clothes. Which communicated joy and hopefulness for a bright future. Somebody say, change your clothes. Then he went in, the Bible says, and worshiped. I'm done. He went in and worshiped. Come on, worship team. David got up, washed, anoints himself, changes his clothes, and he goes in to worship. And what's curious is the next verse says, then he goes and he lies with Bathsheba again. It says, and David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore another son, called his name Solomon. Can, can I tell you something? And you all know Solomon's known as the wisest man that ever lived. But listen, this, here's, what I, here's what I get from this. 
Elder Tina. No matter what has happened in my life, no matter what I've lost in my life, as long as I have breath in my body, long as God wakes me up in the morning, it suggests to me that God still has more that he wants to do. Stop crying over what you lost in the pandemic. You ought to give God praise right there. Just, just that. Come on. You ought to give God a crazy praise right now. Somebody holler, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still. I, I said get excited because you're still. Uh, maybe that fact that maybe you think you deserve to be here. Maybe you think that, that you've just been so wonderful. That's why you're still here. Maybe you think you're so smart. And I know you don't think it's because you're so hygienic and that you know all the COVID protocols and all of that. Honey, if it had not been for the mercies of God, you and I would have been consumed. He goes in and he lies with Bathsheba. And she bears another son. Calls his name Solomon. She calls his name Jedediah because of the Lord. Can I tell you, God still has more for you. You can worship again. Because God still has more. More for you. More grace. More joy. More anointing. More opportunity more resources, whatever it is, whatever you, you think that you're, more relationships, more gen, genuine relationships. Some of those relationships you've lost, you needed to lose. Yeah. They were draining you and sucking you dry. They were, they were not adding to your life. They were not refreshing relationships. Let it go. Let them go. Let it go. Let it go. Bless them on their way. Don't behave. And you ain't got to do all them stupid posts. I'm dropping people. Just don't, you ain't got to post it. Just live your life. You'll know what I'm doing when you see me doing it. <laughs> worship him. David went in and worshiped. Listen, I, 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 want, I want to share this little story with you. I, I want to share, just keep, stay right there. Just stay right there. So there's a story told of the hymnist Horatio Spofford and his wife Anna and the traumatic events of their lives. The first being the death of their four-year-old son and the great Chicago fire of 1871 
which ruined him financially. He had been on a success had been a successful lawyer and had invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago that was extensively damaged by the great fire. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn of 1873 at which he had planned to travel to England with his family on the SS Villay du Harbour. I hope I said that right. To help with D.L. Moody's upcoming evangelistic campaigns. In the late change of plan, he sent the family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems followed by the great Chicago fire. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank after a collision with a sea vessel, the lock earned, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent the now famous telegram, saved alone. Afterward, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words. And his ship passed by near where his daughters had died. Hear the words. When peace like a river <laughs> attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, you don't write a hymn like it is well down from generation to generation unless you've gone through something where you've had to say to God it's well it's well with my soul he said though Satan should buff though trials should come let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and have shed his own blood for my soul. It is well. It is well. It is well. It's well. You can get up and worship again. Come on now. You can go into the house of God and worship again because it's well with your soul. Come on, everybody. Come on, lift it up. Come on, lift it up. Come on, praise Some Say, it is well. It is well. If this message has blessed you, join us as we seek to change lives by reaching and equipping people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on Facebook at Grace Church International, on Instagram at Grace Church INTL ATL or on our website at www.gracechurchintl.org. If you would like to partner with us in our mission, you can donate on PayPal 
at www.paypal.me slash gracechurchintl on Cash App at dollar sign gracechurchintl or on our website at www.gracechurchintlatl.org slash giving. Now go in grace and the grace of God go with you.